0: Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programs and achieve best practice. It's scary to think that in only a few months, 2023 rolls around. But for many, we already have an eye on 2023 and we're deep in planning for another successful year in sponsorship. But what should you be considering in keeping top of mind when planning? One could argue that there's a lot of noise within sport and entertainment sponsorship. It just gets busier and busier and there seems to be more and more platforms, whether they be social media platforms or OTT services or apps that just further fragment engagement opportunities and audiences. How do you navigate the noise and help ensure sponsorship success? What role does cultural relevance play in sponsorship planning and execution? Should you even be focusing on on relevance, or is going all in on maximum reach your best play? How do you make best use of your budget? How flexible and responsive do you need to be to make use of opportunities that pop up despite a plan already being in place next year? What about purpose? They're all big and important questions that will be discussed in this episode, and to help us do that, we welcome back Dan Collier-Hill. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 113, brought to you by Core Software. It's great to have you join us for another show as we close in quickly on the end of the year. I hope you're all well and kicking lots of goals, whatever your role is and wherever you are in the sponsorship world. Now, this is where I would normally give some shout outs, but I haven't received any in the last month or so. I'd love to get a little note from you just to say hi and let me know what you're up to. Just connect with me on LinkedIn. It would be totally awesome to hear from you. Now, as I mentioned, we welcome back Dan Collier-Hill to help us answer some of those important questions that we need to consider as we plan for 2023. Regular listeners will remember Dan as a semi-regular guest on the show when he was employed at Sponserve and then later Core when he used to join us to discuss his latest blog. And there were always great chats and lots of awesome insights. Dan has 10 years' experience across sport and technology, including roles across Fitness Australia, the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs in the National Rugby League, the Melbourne Boomers in the Women's National Basketball League, Prism Sport and Entertainment, and of course, sponsor and Core. Now, these days, Dan is Head of Strategy, Creative Systems at MediaCom Australia, the global media agency. At MediaCom, Dan's role is to help MediaCom clients tap into... The world of sport and entertainment now dan is a self-confessed sponsorship tragic and as such he often leads an effectiveness agenda with clients and right throughout the industry to be fair to help drive strategic growth and during his time at mediacom he's been lucky enough to work on the likes of kfc uber ebay and bp here's dan to help us answer some of those important questions we need to consider as we plan for 2023 Dan, welcome to the show. Now, as a former core employee and a semi-regular guest on the show in the past, we used to talk about your blogs, you used to come on and talk to us about what what you'd written that month and it was always a great chat. So you actually know that we always start with an icebreaker or two, you're not going to get out of it. So just to get you started, help the listeners become reacquainted with you a little bit better. Your first icebreaker question is, what was your first ever job?
1: Damn, I didn't think I was going to have to answer this one. But surprisingly, my first ever job was a baseball umpire. Uh, I was an absolute fanatic um, playing as a, as a youngster and unfortunately didn't actually make it uh, as I got older. So I think for memory, I used to get paid about $5 Aussie a game and I would do about three games on a Saturday afternoon. And if I was lucky, the canteen would give me a can of Coke as well. So... <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, can't say it's turned into much, but I think following that, I ended up in the, the supermarket and groceries like every other teenager growing up in Australia.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because I tell people my first job was cleaning a bakery that is down the road after school for an hour and a half every single day. But it reminds me that my first job was actually refereeing football, soccer in Australia, uh, and I used to do the same thing, go and ref a couple of uh, games on the weekend, then ride my bike home, and I was actually just telling my son about it the other day because he started refereeing, so we don't have enough officials in a lot of sports, so it's always a good first job for kids. Now, Dan, I always like this next icebreaker question, It's a, and it's a double one for you. What is your earliest sporting memory And what is the first sports sponsorship that you can remember?
1: Top of mind, the first sporting memory uh, is probably around the Sydney Olympics back in 2000. And I know that's probably not my first memory, but it's the one that comes to mind. And listeners will probably laugh at this because... I remember sitting at a tennis match, absolutely no idea who was playing. And it was back in the days when Game Boys were huge. So as you can imagine, dragged along to the tennis um, by my parents who, you know, Olympics in our backyard, absolutely loved it. And I couldn't care less. I sat there, watched uh, maybe 60 seconds of tennis and ended up just playing my Game Boy for the rest of the game. So my first memory was being how boring is sport. Um, now, that's obviously changed throughout my career and my life, but the sponsorship that stands out. Oh, that's a good one. God, you've got me there. I'm going to say it would have been Samsung with Chelsea. Um, as a Chelsea fan, that was probably the first overseas kit that I bought, and I remember Samsung being on the front of the kit and... You know, really not having any idea what Samsung did back in the day. Um, now, obviously, again, something else that's changed and quite big, but I think they've gone through a couple of different front of kit sponsors since then. But um, I've still got that small blue shirt hanging up in the wardrobe somewhere that I'm, I'm pretty sure my son will probably get in a few <laughs> years' time.
0: Wow, that is a good one because I do like the retro kit throwbacks and and remembering some of the old sponsorships that your football teams used to have. It always brings a little smile to my face. Now, Dan, for those that don't know Mediacom, tell us a little bit about the organisation and ultimately what your role is and the team that you work in.
1: So Mediacom's a global media agency. Um, Pardon the pun in the name, we've got super original there. Um, My team is called Creative Systems and it's very... Oh, look, it's, it, it's cheesy in, in a sense, but there's a there's a really big purpose to it in terms of we get to sit across everything that's outside of traditional media. So if you think about sport partnerships, influencers, um, publisher partnerships across TV, integration, all those sorts of things, which is a lot of fun. So my role as head of strat within creative systems gets to sit across um, a lot of what our clients do across sport and entertainment, particularly from a partnerships point. So our team is really solely charged with trying to build cultural relevance which you know you'll probably hear me talk about a lot in the podcast um and really understanding and really helping our clients go okay how do we stand out and show up outside of tv outdoor radio etc um so we get to have a lot of fun there's a lot that goes on everyone's very you know frantically busy and running around like a headless chook sometimes but um the yeah there's plenty of cool stuff that we can start to talk about.
0: Well, a lot of fun. Very busy. You got a sounds like quite a large scope because in the past traditional media would have been the dominating force, and now there's so many elements to engaging with audiences. So, are, are you able to share any projects that you're working on at the moment to to really underline the type of work that you do and the type of clients that you work with?
1: Conveniently, we're we're going through 2023 planning for a lot of clients at the moment, and there is this light bulb moment that you know maybe partnerships do actually help drive. Deeper connection, which, you know, again, everyone on the podcast is probably saying yes or nodding their heads to. But um uh an example, you know, Uber would be one. So, you know, at the moment the uh the on demand delivery category is growing exponentially at the moment. Um, Amazon, DoorDash, Menu Log, um, just eats, you know, there there's heaps of them. Uh, so what we're trying to do is understand that, you know, when their competitor spend goes up within media, you know, and it might be a new TVC, it might be a new outdoor campaign, Uber's share of voice goes down dramatically and it's kind of dictated by everyone's spend. So what we want to try and do is look beyond the the share of voice point and say, okay, who can we partner with that's gonna give us a little bit more of a deeper, more meaningful connection with whoever our audience is going into next year? Um, the the theme of that is probably what we're doing for about five or six clients at the moment with their partnership strategy for next year. So, you know, the likes of KFC, BP, Vodafone, et cetera. Uh, there's quite a few of them that are all really starting to get punchy on how they want to use partnerships or sponsorship in terms of how do we reach and engage our audience. Um, and it's fascinating because, as we know, sponsorship deals have got you know, three-year terms, four years, whatever the, the length is. Um, When you sign the deal you know early on, the assets don't tend to change within a contract. So when it starts to get a little bit stagnant, we get to sort of now and go, okay, what's evolving? What's the ways in? So there's a lot of research around, okay, what do we predict is going to help us cut through the clutter and actually make a difference? Um, That's probably a whole heap of ramble and may or may not make sense to listeners, but uh, effectively working out how we can bypass the noise that is media and clutter and actually cut through is probably what we're working on at the moment.
0: Well, you mentioned that, as you said, you're planning with clients for 2023. What's top of mind when you sit down and discuss with clients what they're going to do with their sponsorships next year and, and the activity? What's top of the agenda?
1: One of the biggest challenges we're seeing at the moment is a lot of activity starting to look and feel the same advertising in general is really starting to lose its magic sparkle with upwards of 50% of consumers believing that, you know, it's just a total waste of time. And now that will absolutely rock the boat with some of my media colleagues, but there's some studies that will come out in the next couple of months where we really start to look at, okay, what's the impact that advertising in general is playing and then what's the role of sponsorship within that? So, you know, when we're planning sponsorship activity, we're not only making sure that it amplifies a, a wider media plan, but it's also understanding how our audience actually wants to be engaged with um if you think about when you go to a sporting match you know the led the activations everything that's going on how much of it are you actually paying attention to and what are you actually engaging with because there's so much going on i think over the past decade the growth contribution of media has doubled while the same for of creative has declined by a third which is really giving us this brand relevance problem so um, if i can translate that probably in english um it just means far too often we're seeing the same type of creative being used across so many different formats or even just being repurposed if you think about all of the sponsorship that you've seen within your favorite team or within whoever you work with you know it's it's not necessarily about making sure that we're channel agnostic but making sure that you know, content and whatever it is that we're trying to do from a branding point actually shows up in the right way on the right platform. Um, I think we just have so much copy and paste in our industry. You kind of see one really cool activation and then it, it sort of pops up in a different format, you know, three or four different times across, you know, different markets. So I think, you know, what's top of mind at the moment is really trying to understand how we can be different and... Not do the whole copy and paste job.
0: How does that actually manifest itself though, at a granular level? Where does the focus need to be? Is there a little bit of a, a a theme that you take to the table or or maybe a catchphrase that you try and build conversations around with clients? This is going
1: to sound as cheesy as all hell, but there's probably that rise of the attention deficit. Um there's plenty of white papers and opinion pieces going around on this at the moment, but you know and and almost by some measure that that attention recession is already here. Um, I think we've had a lot of research that has talked about how our attention is, or our attention span, I should say, is just decreasing year on year. So I think the, the growth and sheer volume of media activity has meant that people are almost overloaded with messages that like, quite simply aren't cutting through unless they're relevant to them. The volume of clutter in and around sport, streaming, news, and sort of broader cultural territories is growing dramatically. And I think by nature of sort of capitalizing on where the eyeballs are and sort of changing habits around how we view things. But I think the the question or the focus that we probably need to think about is how effective are we within each of these territories? So, you know, whether it's sport, music, entertainment, you know, comedy, you know, there's a whole range of different ways that, or different spaces that we can activate across with sponsorship. But um, I think, you know, to answer your question, where's the focus, we, we really try and say, you know, are the, Are the people who are involved in this actually paying attention to us or do they just walk past our brand and not actually engage with us?
0: Well, one of the things that plays into that, as you just mentioned, is the noise. I mean, as a marketer myself, I should probably know this off the top of my head, but there's that insane number that people talk about in terms of the amount of marketing messages that you're exposed to each day. And so we can get very, very good at filtering it out, ignoring it, as you said, walking past it, it's pretty easy to create an argument that there is a lot of noise and particularly it's growing within sport and entertainment and particularly on the sponsorship front. I mean... It just gets busier and busier, and, <laughs> and, and, and even it just seems to be more and more platforms, whether they be social media platforms with the rise of TikTok. You know, a couple of years ago, we thought TikTok might not even make it. Now it starts to become a, a dominant platform with certain demographics, or even it's just a new OTT platform that just further fragments viewing What's your personal view? Do you think the the clutter is as big of a problem as it's starting to look like?
1: Yeah, I do, and and I think everyone would have this sort of in the back of their mind as well that you know we see the the clutter statistics, and I think out here in APAC it's about a seven percent year on year increase in the amount of brands that are within sort of sport and end. Um, So when you think about that sort of holistically, it's a you know, there, there's a lot of incremental growth there in the number of messages that people are trying to get through. And, you know, reality is we're all trying to talk to the same people. Um, you know, I, I think every brief that we've talked to has, you know, Gen Z or Gen Alpha or, you know, it, it's a younger generation um, on how we keep them engaged with our brand or product or whatever it is that we're trying to offer. So, yeah, look, we're starting to look into the effectiveness of of creative that, that goes within sponsorship, sort of that gets used across different types of assets or benefits or, you know, however we want to refer to them. So yeah, I think to, to answer your question, I would ask another one, which is, you know, probably super annoying anyway, but I would ask in that can you recall all of the brands that were on the LED rotation or surrounding the field or court the last time you went to a sports match? I think we've fallen into the trap with signage, you know, particularly within sports sponsorship, that it only includes brand logos the occasional cheesy slogan or call to action i think something that you'll see more of in the coming months particularly from us is opinions and and validated research into what we're like what we want to call the creative economy this being the new more tactical way of of understanding how to actually talk to consumers and move them through that customer journey more effectively you know when when i what i mean by that is You know, how do we look at awareness to consideration to purchase intent to actual sales? And then, you know, it doesn't stop there. We actually want to move into sort of that brand advocacy, sort of word of mouth exposure, talkability. We actually want people to see us, buy us, and then actually talk about us a little bit more. So I think more and more people resonate with other people, you know, hence the absolute explosion of influencers and ambassadors of late. Um, You know, it's very much, we don't, associate or get passionate about logos or color palettes um i think if your partnership's probably hovering in that crowded space or you're thinking you know are we in a cluttered environment or not there's probably three questions you can ask yourself and it's something that we go through with planning anyway first one being how sure are you that this is the right territory for your brand super open-ended question and it's fascinating to see you know, marketing teams and boardrooms sort of actually answer this question. So number two, do you have effective assets or benefits that are mapped to how your target audience reacts to advertising? So if I can slow that one down a little bit, there's some really good audience profiling tools that we use um, that I'm sure listeners do as well. But we start to look at, you know, how effective are certain channels and platforms over one another. So you know you were just talking about the boom of TikTok there you know it's absolutely fantastic but the rise of or the rising number of brands that are trying to advertise on that means that you know our attention to them is getting is is going to be less and less so
0: and also the more brands are attracted to a platform and the more they advertise on it the more it dilutes the content that is on there that people are actually on there to consume and that kind of feels like what's happened with Facebook over the years right
1: Oh, absolutely. And and I think, you know, you you probably hit the nail on the head with sort of that third question that we can ask is, does your creative actually stand out um, or do you think it just looks cool? The the amount of, uh, whether it's video content or imagery, you know, whatever platform um, we sometimes get stuck in this. We love what we want to say as a brand point of view, but like not necessarily that's what our audience wants to hear or see. Um, You know, the, what you see on TikTok with, you know, leads highlights is totally different to what I want to look at with the Broncos highlights, um, albeit there probably wasn't a lot for me
0: this year. <laughs> well, it's a good point because, I mean, as I said before, and people know I'm a marketer. And so, you know, the the people that you want to engage with, they have to sit in the middle and you have to create content and, and even advertising, putting a finer point on it. You have to create messaging For them, it never works if the messaging is focused on what you want to say. As you said, oh, it looks cool for us. I like the look of that. Because quite often, you're not your own target audience. So what you like might not necessarily resonate with your target audience. And I thought it was a great point or or question that you asked about. Whether you could recall all of the LED last time you watched sport? Because as you were say, asking that, I thought to myself, I actually designed some LED for somebody <laughs> uh, a couple of months ago, probably six, seven, eight months ago now. And I remember watching the sporting event and seeing that LED and saying to my son, Oh, I designed that. And then it disappeared. I can't even, and then waiting for it to come back on. I can't tell you what was shown in between the one I designed. Even though I was purely focused on it, like laser focused on it to be able to say, there it is again, I can't remember what I was intently looking at waiting for mine to come up. So I think that's a really good question. Daniel, I also like that comment around people resonating with people and often that can be organized around a purpose, a cause, a little bit of a rallying point, people stand for something and so following along from that so many brands also want to pursue a purpose as a corporate citizen they want to stand for something and they want to connect with audiences around that cause or that purpose to help them achieve something so helping that audience and and the market the the, the everyday people achieve that purpose or, or fulfill that purpose live that purpose what's your take on what seems to be for want of a better phrase, the glorious pursuit of purpose. <laughs> That's
1: definitely a, a conversation that needs to be solved either at a bar or over a long lunch. But, yeah, look, I agree with you. I think, you know, whether you're taking back control of personal finances or you're part of the great resignation or, you know, perhaps just changing your hairstyle, all of these trends are a result of wider society genuinely getting out of the rinse and repeat trap that we fell into pre-pandemic. And I don't want to be the person that sort of, harps on about COVID-related habits, but I think when we talk about finding a balance between mass appeal and cultural velocity, so you know whether we're buying or planning how to activate a sponsorship, we need to decide, are we trying to appeal to the absolute masses for a specific reason, or are we trying to engage with a really targeted group of people who might act or behave differently to the everyday person? I think in the last few years, we've seen the explosion of subcultures as a result of you know, all these new technologies and, and content being consumed in different ways and, and quite literally what people want to give their attention to. That's changed dramatically. Uh, I think it's very much a, an appreciation of how valuable our individual time is, uh, you know, particularly within an entertainment industry, you know, whether it's sport, music, comedy, etc. We're all fighting for people's attention. So, why should we be, you know, the people or the businesses that someone pays money to to actually keep them entertained? Um, I think that's a fascinating conversation in itself. But there's a very real challenge in that sometimes brands just need to be realistic about what role they play or what they communicate as their purpose. I think, you know, if everyone's trying to solve world peace, that's great. But, you know, is our brand actually relevant to that conversation? And that sometimes, you know, confronting to answer because back to that point of you know what does the brand ver- want to say versus what the audience wants to hear i mean sometimes it's not aligned uh it's you know, not everybody is trying to dial up uh you know take environmental sustainability as a, as a purpose you know everyone seems to have a net zero or a sustainability policy or initiative or and it's fascinating when you go from an audience profiling point of view about which target audiences or generations actually respond to that. Um again, probably conversation for another time, but that's probably something um you know, I, I would look at from a pursuit of purpose. Just get realistic in terms of what it is that we're trying to do. Um, if we're trying to sell mobile phones to someone, we probably need to be a little bit more direct around, you know what impact does our product actually play and just get really punchy on that.
0: What are your thoughts around brands working together on a purpose? So for example, I was at the gym today, they've got some uh, big TVs, there's some ads running through there. And I think it was Mizuno. I hope I'm not doing them uh, an injustice there. Cause I can't remember the brand, but it said these running shoes are made from a hundred percent recycled plastic. And for every pair of shoes that we sell, we plant two trees. Now, They are not the only organization in the world, as you rightly said, focusing on environmental purpose, for example. They're not the only ones probably recycling plastic and using it to create new products, and they're not the only ones planting trees. Is there an opportunity for brands to actually come together around a purpose, or do they still really need to be talking about purpose and and trying to connect with the audience directly?
1: I love collaborations, and uh, to be honest, I don't know why we don't see more of it. it's, it's somewhat frustrating to your point when you see two brands trying to talk about the same thing and we don't collaborate on it. So I think, look, there, there's definitely a role for it in some cases, but I think that probably comes down to getting really granular on, you know, how you profile who you want to talk to. And, and I don't mean to, you know, just try and throw around marketing jargon, but we've, you know, rather than just saying, Hey, yeah, we're going to plant two trees every time we do this, you know, does that type of messaging actually work with someone? So
0: it's a funny point because I thought to myself, where are you planting the trees? I mean, are you giving people <laughs> the trees yep. with the shoes to plant? What if I don't want to plant a tree in my backyard? Like, are the trees going in the most important place? Are they going where it's already crowded? Are they the right type of trees? Like, all these questions around what does planting two trees actually mean that wasn't actually communicated.
1: Yeah, and look, it, it means different things to different people, right? Like, if, you know, if you're a runner, then the type of creative or the message that you're using is probably or should be more geared towards the actual shoe and the impact that the shoe has. Um, you know, if you're talking about um, the shoe being made from recycled plastic or whatever, polyester, whatever whatever it is, if you're then communicating that, well, instead of planting the trees, it might be, well, hey, this is the impact that your shoe has on the environment when you don't use it anymore. Um, then you start to get a little bit more relevant to you know what the actual use of the product is, as opposed to planting more trees.
0: Well, it's a good it's a good point again because as marketers we quite often talk to people and say don't just talk about the features, you have to talk about the benefits. And so I think they were they were saying something important: recycled plastic is being used in the shoes, and we're planting two trees. But why they think that is important? wasn't clear so the benefit or the outcome wasn't communicated it was just this is what we're doing so i think you make some good points now so listeners you may notice a little change here in the audio at dan's end because we needed to stop last week and and pick this up a couple of days later But Dan, picking it back up, I went back and had a listen to your last answer and I kind of get the feeling that it may ruffle some feathers. So that will be fun. I'll uh, I'll forward all hate mail straight to you. But now talk to me about one of the most important parts of sponsorship and that is budgets because they're both empowering in terms of giving us money to actually activate a sponsorship but also restrictive because we don't have unlimited budget obviously. What's happening on the budget front at the moment and what can listeners take into their own planning for next year?
1: What a fun conversation to pick this back up on budget. It's like literally the worst thing that we all talk about but Oh, look, I, how many times have you seen a partnership opportunity um, that gets tossed up in a, in a meeting room or just in a session or, or even casually? Um, and it's a great one, but it gets shut down with the, oh, we don't have budget, which has to be the most frustrating answer to to any idea. And, you know, it, I think that's usually coupled with, oh, let's look at it next year because our media activity is already locked in or we're already committed to something, um, I think the challenge with setting out annual plans is we do this sort of six to 12 months in advance. We're totally unaware of any cultural trend that could come to life later in the year that might actually help us address a genuine business challenge. Um, You know, case in point, think about TikTok. Um, That's literally flipped our world inside out. So I think, you know, in principle reacting to something live can be far more effective than trying to force perception or behavioural change. And I think, sometimes that can fall into a bit of a, you know, is that sponsorship, is it PR, is it broader marketing? Like where does that where does that sit and what role does it need to play? But I think, you know, it, it probably comes down to if we're reacting to something and if we're trying to use budget that isn't, you know, pre-planned, we kind of go, okay, does this opportunity live in mainstream or does it live in sort of a subculture? Um, you know, what are the entry points to where we're trying to talk to these people and how agile are we enough to you know produce content or activations to capitalize on it because the other thing that you know might be a great idea we might have money to do it but you know do we actually have the capabilities to give it the attention and the love that it probably deserves um so would like all good questions and probably an absolute roundabout or pure ramble to answer your question but i think when we're looking at budgets for the rest of the year we should take a a leaf out of the whole sort of test and learn concept when we're thinking about budgets that reactive mentality allows us to jump onto a trend or an idea to actually drive relevance at a specific point in time so i guess the the challenge for sponsorship is how we react um, requires publishers platforms rights holders um, to be able to sell the opportunity effectively because you know like we were talking about before where you know, everything sort of tends to look and feel the same. It's because the assets that are being sold are all exactly the same. You know, if you removed the team colors and the logos and just called them property A, B, and C, um, you know, we'd probably struggle to, to delineate between the, the difference. So I think not getting locked into standard assets or packages is really important for, you know, being able to have reactive budgets. Um and then how we activate within them probably needs to be reflective of the trend itself um, and how the or our target audience reacts to it. So, you know, we, we sometimes fall into the trap of well, we're going to talk to, you know, Gen Z as an example, and, and this is what we want them to do at a particular point in time. Um, they might not react that way. So I think, you know, uh, probably another conversation we go back to is that whole sort of is it what we're trying to say or is it what we're um, our audience is trying to say or, or respond to. So again, probably more ramble from me. So the trends we react to is probably going to dictate what we act around, activate around, and how much budget we spend on. Um, sometimes it's mass market appeal. Other times it's trying to find out, you know, where that next share of growth is going to come. Well,
0: from. Well, Dan, even if we don't have reactive budget. And we're all busy, so I appreciate we don't have a lot of free time. But do you think there's any value in still workshopping some of those ideas and or opportunities as they present themselves rather than simply just saying, let's park it till next year?
1: We're all guilty of sort of putting an idea in the top drawer and then, you know, forgetting about it and then thinking about it, you know, six to 12 months later, so absolutely um, something that we try and do with our clients is run quarterly review sessions now that might be having a look at you know what's happening in the landscape you know what a competitors doing are there any trends that we can think about that uh, we want to activate on in in the next quarter or something that we you know is just purely a, a thought start or needs to stay on an agenda so definitely don't don't not look at them because we don't have the budget I think um if anything, that probably forces us to ask questions of the activity that they've already booked in
0: anyway. A conference or a panel session, I would pay a lot of money to see, just because, to be fair, I like to see people argue their points. (laughs) But it is something that we get asked (laughs) about a lot on the show and when we're out and about and talking to people in our network. And it might seem like a, a bit of a simple one, but it is really one that just won't go away. And For me personally, I kind of think that that's because audiences change, both in terms of how and where they engage and what they demand from content producers and rights holders and brands. But what is the role of sponsorship? Is it to drive awareness or sales outcomes? And I think that's still an important question, even though it's basic, because as we're planning for next year, we really do need to understand our why. Why are we doing this? Are we trying to drive awareness or sales outcomes? Is there an easy answer here?
1: I don't think there's an easy answer, but I think all of every listener would probably be the same as you and pay for a panel session um, on this. So if there's any um, conference exhibitors or, or um, event organisers, there's definitely a topic for you. Um, I think, look, if you put traditional media and sponsorship professionals in the same room and get them to debate the whole reach versus relevance argument, we're going to get more fireworks in Sydney on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Um, our industry is absolutely obsessed with driving reach over relevance. And it's, you know, it's what kills most sponsorship ideas before they can even get off the ground. Um, But is that down to bad ideas or is it probably more that inability to sell in relevance um, or that sort of relevance story when we're pitching it internally? Um, I would probably say it's the latter. The concept of reach over relevance is incredibly broad by nature. Whereas exploring, um, relevance overreach that is, so if we completely flip it, we start to get a little bit more niche and targeted and perhaps less mainstream too. Um, I think if I can put my position on where I stand with that, I think sponsorship needs to be a relevance role um, or relevance over reach. You can have sort of mass appeal as a principle of, you know, how you're going to pick your partner and who you're going to activate with. but... Um, the reason you tap into a partner is to engage with their audience, not specifically because they've got the biggest audience, because if we wanted to do that, we could just go and do spots and dots on you know broadcast. So I think the the challenge to answer is if we continue to be so pro reach, how do we respond when competitor spend goes up or down within our own category? So, you know, in theory, if my competitor spends more than me in advertising, my share of voice is going to go down, at, like my position is going to go down, which means, you know, there's this big ripple effect in terms of when we use survey data around, you know, recall and awareness and association and all that kind of stuff. So when we ball into, let's just prioritize reach, you know, we're then subject to, a lot that we need to deal with whereas relevance we kind of go okay we we know who we're trying to talk to and we know
0: why. well you're dealing so, with market forces that you have to be reactive to rather than staying true to your purpose right yeah
1: absolutely if i can play devil's advocate against myself um you know if we prioritize relevance do we actually miss out on evolving audience profiles that weren't initially considered you know there's there's a lot of briefs and a lot of activity going around at the moment with a gen z target purely because that's the next generation of you know that's who we think our customers are and it's a flaw in how we think we need to actually get a bit deeper in why do we need to talk to the younger generation is it because our customer base is quite literally dying off or is it you know new behaviors for different generations i think when we measure the effectiveness of sponsorship around that um you know, we we tend to play an amazing role at driving upper funnel outcomes like awareness and consideration, Um, you know, possibly purchase intent as well. But I think, you know, publisher, media partnerships, um, you know, when you start to get into more real integration, and I know that's a buzzword at the moment, that's when we tend to drive a lot of the lower funnel outcomes. So, you know, I I hate to be cheesy here, but when we start talking about reach versus relevance, it comes down to the, you know, what's the business objective? the easy way to look at that is have some grounding principles so again if it is mass reach is it if it is cut through the clutter if it is you know sometimes it's like effort versus reward um the more appeal and the bigger volume that we're going to (laughs) get often comes with a um a fairly hefty resource bill at the end of it so i think it, it probably you know it comes down to what are we trying to do we're trying to drive Lower funnel or upper funnel is going to be the answer. Well, it to
0: does that. sound as though you're passionate about relevance, and it's an interesting topic. And I think you make some some good points. So I'm curious about why you kind of, for want of a better phrase, side with relevance as being so important.
1: I am and if it hasn't already sort of shone through already, um, yeah, absolutely sort of pro-cultural relevance. Both mine and my team's role is solely dedicated to helping our clients drive cultural relevance versus their competitors. And when we say cultural relevance, that's a, how do I make you pick our brand versus someone else? When you walk down the aisle of a supermarket or, um, you know, it could be a clothing store, what makes my product stand out over another one? And that's not just you know, the price, the colors, the position it is on the shelf, it's, there's got to be everything that comes with that from a brand building point of view. So that's where we tend to play. And there are so many cool stories that we can start to tell. Um, We've got a lot of mass market brands like KFC, Uber, BP, Vodafone, etc, who all play in categories that are, I would say, arguably interchangeable with their competitors at the click of a button. If you think about if you're sitting on the couch um, of an evening, are you going to get DoorDash versus Uber Eats? I mean, it's kind of you could switch between the two. They're both going to give you the same product. So um, maybe a different story with KFC and Mac as if you're a Zinger or a Big Mac fan. Um, but I think our job is to help understand how we can be more relevant to you versus competitors so that we get you to choose our brand or product at that point in time. When we talk to clients about building cultural relevance, it's about finding that absolute sweet spot that helps them to plant a seed for meaningful connection and engagement. Um, We would all have our default brands that we like to shop with or we like to go with or, you know, if we're putting fuel or petrol in the car, we know exactly who we like to fill up with. If I can go back to that sort of mass appeal versus cultural velocity discussion we were having earlier, this is a really critical part of actually building relevance. Um, If you think about a framework of sorts, you know, a line going from north to south helps guide the level of attention we're going to get. You know, the more people we want to see our brand, the less likely they are to pay attention to it. Again, use the example of sport. How many logos do we see within a sporting game, Um, you know, with clutter rising year on year? The same goes with TV spots and dots, whether it's an integration into, you know, Big Brother or Survivor or whatever the show is that we can watch. But then on that framework, if you think east to west on that framework piece, you know, that's how fast we react to these trends and how we activate with them. So the faster we react, the less people we're likely to reach because it's so niche and because it's so quick Um, but they're also going to pave the way to more engagement with whatever we're doing so classic example for that would be like a TikTok challenge you know it's kind of here and then gone before we know it unless it goes viral so I think why are we passionate about this probably because it's where we see the most results for clients Um, there are a lot of amazing outcomes that we can attribute both sort of business growth and brand growth when we focus on relevance rather than just reach. Um, now, I'm not saying that's one over another. It's it, it's definitely an and conversation. But, I mean, in the confines of the four walls that I'm in at the moment in the building, it's definitely Listening
0: relevance. to you, I can't get this question out of my head. You're there talking about relevance. You talk about being culturally relevant overall. But if it's so hard to predict trends, a lot of people would just say you can't, how do we actually plan to be culturally relevant? It's a good
1: question. It's a really good question. And it's it's actually not you. It's um, pretty much every client that we talk to about it, You that, know, it, Even listeners are probably thinking it right now. Like, hey, cultural relevance, you probably said it 20 times, but it's a bit of a buzzword. Like, um, without giving too much away or sort of you know the the secret source we have a process called cultural navigation um it's effectively a strategic process to outline where and how clients show up within cultural territories that are important to their target audience so in simple terms we review what conversations we need to show up in and then how we do it in a way that isn't just advertising or sponsorship noise so the key to planning around relevance is to understand your audience rather than trying to force a message. What we want to say is often not really what that audience wants to hear and that's you know clear as day that it's becoming a trend of what we're talking about. But to answer your question, how do you plan for relevance, you really need to have an innate understanding of your audience and that goes beyond just traditional audience profiling. I would encourage, if you're a rights holder and listening to this, stop sending demographics index. We really don't need to look at the percentage of male and female and, you know, the, the top line age brackets. Like, We can source that information ourselves or, or most sort of brands and agencies can do that. So what is really beneficial is understanding what are the psychographics, what are the behaviours, how do they think, how do they feel, What do they like? What don't they like? So once we know that information, that helps us actually plan on how we can be a little bit more relevant than our competitors. Um, And look, it's not an easy process to do. Um, Sometimes you will get sort of two steps down the line and go, okay, no, that's not working. Um, As an example, we have a client at the moment who, we uncovered that TV and film was a really good territory for them to explore in terms of, you know, think Netflix, Disney's, um, how do we integrate into those platforms, but then also use IP from shows and films to be able to, you know, really tap into fandom behind that. That's really hard to do and it's really expensive to do. So, we're trying to work out okay maybe it's a slight pivot maybe instead of integrating into that it's kind of like how do we improve the experience around tv and film so is there a way that one of our clients can show up whilst you're watching or as you want to plan watching something on disney
0: you say that once you have those deep understandings of the target audience you can actually start to plan properly so Following on from that understanding, and then also understanding that we want to be culturally relevant, what sort of assets do you see as being able to best help achieve relevance? Is it is it mostly the the tried and true ones, or or, or are there some emerging ones like that showing up in shows like you just spoke about?
1: I think it's less about the assets themselves and more about the channel or the platform and by you know channel or platform i'm talking about you know if it's social is it TikTok versus instagram versus facebook versus snapchat versus you know a whole raft of things i think when you're digging deep on how your audience behaves you can tend to get a good grasp on you know okay are they going to react to something well on any of those platforms um once you identify you know, let's say for example, we know that we want to talk to an audience that loves video. Um, we know that we can probably rule out certain channels, and we, you know, we might gravitate towards Instagram Reels or TikTok. So once we know that, we can then talk to rights holders and say, "Okay, talk to us about your social strategy and what you're using around those particular platforms." Um, I think. The clutter that we're seeing for, you know, particularly in sport around on field or on court assets, um, it's just becoming harder and harder to actually cut through. Um, Something that we talk about is attention levels. And when you're getting your, you know, six monthly review or your annual review on, you've got great media value on your front of jersey or your court decal or whatever that big awareness asset is. the rising clutter means that there's going to be less attention paid on those assets. And because it's a logo play, not necessarily a product message or a call to action, it's going to be sort of, it's actually not going to help us create that relevance angle. So I think what assets are going to drive relevance, it's anything that's going to dial up engagement. I think on the show you often talk about awareness assets or engagement based assets. Um, I would challenge listeners to think about the last time they saw a logo and felt like it was relevant to them. Um, you know, it, it's it's we, we don't we don't look at logos, color palettes, um, you know, styles, etc. It's what they what they do and how they make us feel is what's driving that relevance. So I think in a roundabout way, what assets are going to drive relevance, anything that's going to let you engage one-to-one with fans, customers, however we want to
0: Dan, them. Dan, I think you make some good points there because I'm sure lots of people are listening and nodding their head or smiling or laughing because we've been talking about logo slapping for a very, very long time, but we still just see it happen almost as if it's a little bit of a vanity play and people feel like they can't not do it. So moving on and starting to wrap this up, Dan, as I mentioned in the intro, you've worked on the rights holder side at a few organizations. And of course you worked for Sponserve and then Core for a few years. What is something that you've learned and come to appreciate differently after moving from the rights holder side?
1: I would say probably two things. Um, one is I think uh, previously I underestimated the role of emotion when it comes to planning out sponsorships um and and whatever activity we do whether it's across sport music entertainment comedy etc how you make people feel in the room when an idea is getting pitched is really really important and it's not as much about the sort of the tactics behind it you know i think back to our sort of sponsor and core days it was very you know we've got this many assets or benefits and we're going to attribute it to this campaign and we're going to do this like that's very tactical um there's there's not really an ability to look at like what's the bigger picture here like what's this trying to solve and what's it trying to do and and how does it fit into everything else the um the other thing that has made me laugh like a lot of times is, is just how long things take to get done um you know a really decent sponsorship can take 6 to 12 months to actually plan out um it's not a here's a proposal, we like it, here's, you know, here's a contract and, you know, everyone sort of shakes hands and moves on. Don't get me wrong, it does happen <laughs> and they're amazing when it when it comes off. But I think, yeah, just the time and effort it takes to actually justify sponsorship, particularly on this side of the fence. Um, I think the lesson is that, you know, brands only have so much money that they can spend within marketing. Don't just think because they're a big bank that they've just got an unlimited supply of cash. Uh I think if there's a, if there's a pool of, of money, we really have to justify why that's going to be best spent on a sponsorship versus something else. It might go into radio. It might go into movies or cinemas. It might go to TV. Like There's a whole stack of ways um, that brands can really push their messages out or activate on. So I think, yeah, how long and how complex that can be is a surprise not a surprise but that's probably
0: a learning I, should say. Oh, I think it's a good point i think sometimes we don't understand some of the roadblocks processes red tape that sort of stuff that that might slow other people down on the other side of the fence when we're working and engaging with them dan great chat if people want to connect with you maybe keep the conversation going what can they do where can they go for more information
1: uh LinkedIn's probably the easiest place. Um I tend to try and open that, you know, a couple of times a day to see what else is happening around. So if anyone's up for a, a chat, definitely. And can. of course
0: listeners will put a link to Dan's LinkedIn profile in the show notes at coresoftware.com dot com. Dan Collier Hill, head of strategy creative systems at MediaCom Australia. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights to help us plan for two thousand and twenty three.
1: Thank you, mate. Great to be on the show.
0: It was so nice to be able to have Dan on the show, and it was great to see that he's progressed into such an awesome role. As a self-confessed sponsorship tragic, it does seem like the perfect place for him. If you'd like to connect with Dan on LinkedIn, simply search for Dan Collier-Hill. That's C-O-L-L-I-E-R hyphen Hill, H-I-L-L. And of course, you can find out more about Mediacom and their amazing work and clients at Mediacom.com. Finally, if you like a shout-out or just want to connect with me and say hi, then I'd totally love to hear from you. i get a real kick out of it, so please do. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O Y S T O N. That's a wrap for episode 113. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcast. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.